like to welcome Don Higby to the Grow to Amazing podcast. This is Tony Mays, and I'm just happy to have him here. Don and I go way back. Uh, I'm almost afraid to say it's it's what been it's been over 20 years now, almost 25 probably. Uh, but Don and I worked together back in old Postal Soft company from La Crosse, Wisconsin, through the first Logic days as that company grew uh, up until the oh let's see when did you leave 2006 2007 ish in there yeah. yeah right in the middle of uh, 2007 yes yeah. yep okay and then Don kind of charted his own course he he uh, was you know able to uh, be successful enough to uh, go off and be an entrepreneur and own his own business and uh, now is is working on his own again so uh, welcome Don Oh, thanks for having me, Tony. It's uh, it's always good to chat with you. It's been a, it's been a long run for sure. Like I said, <laughs> yeah. I think it's been probably twenty five years that we've known each other. Yep, so. yep, yeah, definitely. So, Don, where are you, uh, where are you from originally, and kind of how did you you know how was growing up? And I know it was southeastern Wisconsin, but uh, what was growing up like for you? Yep, I was uh, back in Waukesha, Wisconsin, is where I grew up, um, and uh, lived there, you know, until I went off to college. And, you know, the, those early years were, um, were with a family with the, my, my father was a police officer. So you can imagine oh, the, nice. uh, the uh, semi-strict upbringing, <laughs> um, which, I, which I think paid off in the end, at least. Um, and then uh, my dad went out on his own um, with my mom and they were um, small business owners um, and a couple, okay. couple, three different businesses. So, you know, I got kind of got my feel of, of what it was like is uh, to own a business when I was a kid, mm-hmm. um, something that always appealed to me. What kind of businesses? Um, they owned um, uh, bars and restaurants. Back okay. Then. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you know, played a lot of sports. Um, did all the things that uh, a lot of a lot of kids do. Um, the uh, the big one that uh, I migrated to was was BMX when it first started becoming big. Sure. When oh, from the years thirteen uh, until probably I was seventeen, and then you know, then you you find girls and cars and all the other fun <laughs> stuff, and you kind of dr- kind of drifted away from. Uh, from the BMX side, but, uh, you know, always liked motorsports, um, you know, riding dirt bikes, snowmobiles, all the outdoor type activities in the sure. early years and to this day. Yeah. So you didn't do, did you do like mo- any motorcycle racing in high school at all or anything like that? Or I didn't, it was all, it was all BMX racing. You know, okay. And, it, uh, okay. and then uh, actually at the end there, I did a little bit of snowmobile racing when I was 18, 19, um, right okay. before I went away to college. Because you could do that in Wisconsin back then, because we had all kinds of snow, you know, back in the day. <laughs> Not uh, so yeah, much these days, for, but back in the day, we used to just ride right from the from the, the house and go out to the yeah. trails, and you know, you could pretty much do that uh, all the time. And I, I know uh, back in Wisconsin now, the snow gets a little bit scarce these days. Yeah, yeah, we're it's just all. I mean, we got a little bit, but it's icy and and uh, you know, covered in you know, covered in a layer of ice and dirt now, pretty much. I think so. <laughs> Even northern Wisconsin, we were looking at going on a trip with my father-in-law up north. He likes to go up there. We like to go up there, and there's nothing up there till Michigan, pretty much, even right now. So yeah, those are, those are always good times heading up to that part of the the uh, the mm-hmm. woods there, um, right on the border of uh, sure. Michigan, and just just a great time. A lot of good memories of doing that as well. Awesome, yeah. So your dad was definitely into the outdoor sports as well. Absolutely, you know, yeah. and especially on the snowmobiling side of things, we we always okay. had snowmobiles. You know, I just remember burning around in the on the grass mm-hmm. back at or on the <laughs> snow at home until it was down down to bare dirt. Yeah, and, uh, and, and we'd always uh, probably do three or four trips a year up north. Okay. Um, you know, Iron County, um, and then also up into uh, into Michigan. 
okay. into the UPE. And just, so you did uh, a little bit more off trail type stuff up, up in Michigan? Or? We did, we did yeah. because you could ride in the, uh, on the um, state forest where you can go off trail and, and you know, that. Okay. That kind of explains a lot for the Wyoming part, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yep, and then we started, you know, in Kiernan, we started going out there to, out in Wyoming to, and uh, would have been 96, I believe it was. Okay. And then it just kind of took off from there. Okay. So did you meet Karen in high school or was that a college? I was in college. college. I, yeah. uh, I so, uh, first, to... first before that, why lacrosse? I mean, you could have gone anywhere for college probably or close. I mean, were you a good student or? No, yeah, student? you know, I worked yeah. for, I, I think I worked for a year and a half or two years out of, uh, out of high school. You know, it was okay. probably, uh, I think I, I probably had a 3.2 grade point yeah. average, but you know, back then my interests honestly were uh, in shop class was a big thing uh, back yeah. that shop class automotive class and you know, I got mm-hmm. through it fine um but then we I just decided well I'm gonna, I'm gonna work I was making good money mm-hmm. uh and I just happened to go up and visit my brother who was attending Viterbo okay. in lacrosse oh, gotcha. I, you know I literally ran into I met my wife standing in a line at a, uh, <laughs> a Viterbo event out there in the, the courtyard back there they used to have a big uh, festival uh, in I think it was in April and mm-hmm. I met her there we were the last two people in line and you know I've, I've pretty much been with her ever since so I guess we're going on oh I I can't I should I should know this <laughs> but I think the math is probably you know 32 33 years so that would have been like around 1990-ish or something like that or 80 80- it was yes yeah okay I met okay. her in 1990 and then I I got a late start at, at uh at Winona State, decided to go to Winona State and okay. pushed through that quickly. And uh, I think I did the four year four year human resource degree in three years. Okay, I we thought just, you went to UW. You didn't go to UW Lacrosse. You went to no, no. Everyone okay. thought I went to yeah to Turbo or UWL because <laughs> I was there all the time seeing Karen. So it was uh, I was rarely over at Winona State except Monday through Thursday to uh, gotcha. Okay, to do the classes. Back in the day when you could, you know, go out to the bars Thursday, Friday, Saturday night or something like oh, that. Oh, yes. And, yeah. <laughs> sure did. <laughs> <laughs> I vaguely remember those days, I think, as well, you know, but uh, yeah. My goal, my goal was always to be done completely with everything that Thursday by noon. <laughs> yeah. So. Yep. Yep. Good memory. Yeah. And I remember my freshman year, I definitely couldn't do that. I had an 8 a.m. calculus class five days a week. So that sucked. But yeah, yeah once you get a little bit older, then you can kind of move on to that that type of thing so okay so why hr why hr (laughs) you had to pick something (laughs) i had to pick something but you know i um was it the people thing for the most part i like people so i was i was a people person and i looked at that degree you know they also had a general business admin degree there and Mm -hmm. i just thought you know i if i did hr it uh it could get me into an organization and help me um, probably be a good entry spot to, to touch all pieces of pieces of an organization and eventually, mm-hmm. eventually migrate into those. And that's what I did. Yeah. Uh, so I think it worked out really well. I, I think that that degree to this day, uh, I've been able to use it. Yeah, definitely running your own business and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yes. yeah. So you graduated in when, 93 then? 90, 92. 94, 92. Okay. Think, okay. Yeah. 92, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where did you go after that? Or did you go right to Postal Soft then? Or no, no. I did an internship at ORC Industries. Uh, just oh, okay. cold, my last my last trimester, I just went and cold called on them and got a uh, 
a great internship in human resources. And, it, you know, that was a wonderful experience. I get to work with uh, okay. one of their main focuses is working with folks with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, certainly eye-opening and very, um, a very positive thing in my life to, to do that. And uh, I migrated it's humbling into, too, in a way, isn't it? I think it, it the challenges those people that they, not those people, the challenges they deal with on a day-to-day basis. So absolutely. Um, yeah. It, it was a it was a really good experience. Glad I got to do it, and I I ended up running the production uh, environment there for oh the product kind of the production manager uh, is what my full time mm-hmm. job was there after my internship, and I ran uh, that until ninety six is when I went over to to PostaSoft. Okay, okay. Just so thought it was being, time for time for a change at that point, or well, you know, being that I was dealing with government contracts at, at ORC Industries, PostaSoft was looking for someone that that could sell into those environments. Um, Oh, the long, long, the long sales cycles that those took. I I did a lot of the contract work at ORC and I I visited with the customer um, Mm -hmm. quite a bit on a, on a more on a production basis, but I knew how to get those deals. You know what the contract looked like and things like that. Yeah. 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 So Jim Gazowski asked me if I was interested in coming over, you know, I had no, I, I had heard what Postal Soft was all about. Um, you know, I knew mm-hmm. Jim pretty well mm-hmm. and, uh, he recruited me over there and, you know, and the software, uh, my software world <laughs> took off, uh, from there. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I haven't talked yet a lot on the podcast about my history, but I was already at Postal Soft, I think it was August of 95 when I got there and I was more on the commercial side doing software development then. So I don't think we really touched base since you were on the government side. I wasn't really... Uh, I was peripherally aware of it, I think, but we were so heads down back then in the late nineties was all the reclass stuff with the USPS and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, the company was growing like crazy. So, you know, I think just the number of people we were adding on a weekly basis was, was just ridiculous. So it it was, I just remember coming in that front door and, you know, every morning and taking a right-hand turn. I I very rarely went to the left (laughs) where you guys were over there. So we kind of had our own little our own little area back there. Uh, yep, yep. I, I mean, you probably remember seeing my name on a cubicle and I remember seeing yep, your name. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't think we really work. We didn't really work together until, um, well, cause I mean, I went off, you stayed, you stayed on the government sales side. You guys had some huge wins with the USPS and, and with Lockheed Martin and, you know, do you want to talk about those a little bit or? Yes. I, the first project I got thrown onto was, pretty much their first international bid. And that was for, um, for Australia post mm-hmm. for outfitting, um, Australia post with 53, uh, sorting machines with, with uh, okay. postal soft software on them. So that was super exciting yeah. to be able to jump right into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we got to, we got to go to, uh, down to Australia and do a, a, a verbal proposal to the, the post. And, nice. you know, I can still remember vividly to that day, uh, getting a call from uh, from Lockheed Martin, who was the prime contractor on that. I remember answering the phone at three in the morning. Um, <laughs> and uh, Jay Clements, who was the lead on it from Lockheed, said that we'd won it. Nice. You know, it, I, that, that's kind of my my launching pad at, uh, yeah. at PostalSoft. That's, awesome. that's where things took off and it just snowballed from there. And we kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and uh, Did we already have like the USPS contracts by then for the RCR and things like that? Okay. So we already we had did. a lot of the OCR pieces in place by then. So we did, uh, which was it, good. It, it, so. Doug Schmidt and, and, the, and the rest of the software development team were there were instrumental in 
Oh, they they went and retrofitted all those current yeah. US. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was that was early '90s, wasn't it? Yeah. Right, going to from yeah. a nine-digit sort to an eleven-digit sort. So, we were, you know, the the retrieval director retrieval system was built, <laughs> and uh, you know, the basis of it was all there. It's just uh, it was exciting because they had done that, and that was mm-hmm. really the foundation of that com- company and what launched it from a from a financial perspective. Sure. Yeah. The money they made uh, from that was able to to fund the rest of the development. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. Because I mean, uh, back then this was, so uh, for everybody that's listening back in the nineties, the USPS, their sorting technology was kind of in its infancy, I think. And, and there was a huge amount of change and automation going on. And, and what you see today is a result of, you know, the 30 years of hard work that people have put in to put that automation in place. And, and our company was a, a small, but pretty significant part of that back in the day. So, um, so that was awesome. But, and then things like the video coding stations where we actually have people keying at a desktop. I mean, that was new technology though, that we had never done before, was it? No, that, I think the baseline for that, Tony got started, uh, you know, and they, they did it for, um, they made that little letter, letter, Postal Software had that little yep. letter LCM letter coding <laughs> desk that was used to code mail uh, in the commercial marketplace. And, you know, that was, mm-hmm. that was a significant part of the business back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was your biggest thing you learned from that whole process of going through that sales cycle? I mean, that had to have been a couple of years, I'm guessing, or at least a year and a half or something, somewhere on there? It, it was a good year. It was a solid yeah. year, start yeah. to finish. Um, I would say the biggest thing was knowing the, the customer and... Mm-hmm. And having, you know, Lockheed Martin did a uh, textbook job of going there and understanding how the Australians worked, mm-hmm. um, what the intricacies were, because it's absolutely different than the United States. They're not um, trying to assume anything about, about their business or something like that. Correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So I, I'd say that's the number one thing. And uh, in following the plan that, um, that our partners, everyone on the team, Mm-hmm. Uh, that was going to provide the entire solution, having a plan, following it to a T mm-hmm. and uh, not veering off of that. You know, Tony, I think you remember we used to call those win strategies back in yep. the, the day yep. with Lockheed Martin. And, <laughs> you know, they did, uh, they, they did a lot with that. And I, it's one of the biggest things I learned in my career was working with them out, mm-hmm. uh, out in, in New York, putting those proposals together. I, I learned a, a ton from that. Mm-hmm. Um, the processes, the procedures, and how you go about, you know, winning one of those big contracts, which I'm sure we'll talk about the one that you and I worked yeah. on right at the end there. <laughs> yeah. We did on our own. So. Yeah. And just kind of stay in the course and, you know, you know, not let the highs get too high, not the, not let the lows kind of drag you down kind of a thing. And you can crawl under a desk if you want to, but it's probably not going to do a whole lot of good. So. Right. And I, I think you, you know, from how, when we worked together on these teams, um, you know, later mm-hmm. in our careers there, it was, we just had a must win attitude and it's easy to say that. Um, but it, it's hard to keep everyone going in that direction, but we did it. And mm-hmm. you just said, we are not going to lose this. And you go at it like that. And every day you come into that office, a lot of long nights. Um, and mm-hmm. we, just, we just always had a good team. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Not making excuses and owning up when we make mistakes and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yes. So what was after Australia? Was that uh, back to the USPS then or would you go? No. Or was we, that when the UK that's when started? started? That's when the UK, UK project started. The Royal Mail was redoing their entire mail, mailing delivery system, for lack of a better term. All mm-hmm. of their uh, infrastructure was getting redone and they had a little 
oh, it was a consultancy contract. They wanted sure. industry experts to come in and talk about, you know, sign up to a contract and tell them what they should do. Then they're mm-hmm. going to put all the, the, the ideas back into one kind uh, of requirements doc or requirements document or, and figure out and then and then go out to tender with a bid well we went over there to the uk and you know <laughs> we, we were the small player you know you had lockheed over there northrop grumman trw oh uh, there was you know, siemens, siemens and, yeah. you know, else bailey at the time alcatel mm-hmm. and we were everyone looked at us like who are you guys well <laughs> we were over there dave bound and i went over there and you know we showed up and and it we bid on it. I remember yep. we put a bid together and we were unsuccessful, but it opened up teaming arrangements to it with sure. us. So we ended up teaming up with, uh, with Lockheed Martin and, you know, it was the largest contract that, that Postal Software was first logic was ever involved in. Mm-hmm. And we came up with a win, you know, that one was long that I'd say start to finish there from the beginning of the consultancy until the contract was let. It was probably close to three years, two and a half, mm-hmm. three years. Uh, was that when Aaron selection. was that when Aaron was over there as well was as part of the pre contract or was he after we got the teaming with Lockheed in place? I think he was after. I should remember okay. that, but I just can't. I know. I know. Dave well, he was working there. at Lockheed facilities, so it probably had to be after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, so. You know, I think he might have been over there during the the end of the proposal a little bit. Okay, yeah, he, he was. Now that I remember that, kind I remember of a transition. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it just. Uh, you know, we won that and it was just significant for the company. Uh, it was significant for the Royal Mail mm-hmm. and we had a large team working on it. I, Tony, I can't, I mean, we had probably what, 20, 25 engineers at, at any given time working on that. Yeah. I mean, roughly 10% of the company or something like that mm-hmm. was working on that. I would guess. So that was very satisfying winning that. It was mm-hmm. uh, a big one that we could uh, use as a uh, reference for, for future opportunities. And, and then of course you, you know, you were one of the, the, the uh, people that went over there and lived on site mm-hmm. and uh, worked in the trenches with Lockheed Martin and uh, mm-hmm. you know, made it happen on the delivery end of it. There was always the winning part of it. Yeah. And then it was, you know, you, you folks delivering on it, which is the harder part, no doubt. Yeah. Um, those were hard requirements. And, and I just, I remember, I remember the late night calls with you, uh, <laughs> just getting, you know, trying to, <laughs> you get, you, uh, you had a lot of, uh, oh, what's the challenges? Word? Is that a good way? Yeah. Or yes, you were, you were pressured very hard. I mean, the requirements were tough. We signed mm-hmm. up to some extremely, extremely tough things to get that deal. And, at the end of the day, uh, you folks and the people writing the code made it happen. Made We made every requirement at the end of the day. And yeah. I think that's impressive. Yep. So there must have been a lot of pushback at the executive level. Because by this point, you, what was your title at the time? Like vice president of postal automation? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Was it, were you getting a lot of pushback at the executive level about, you know, uh, should we be, you know, going after a contract this big or, you know, are we going to be able to do this? That kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> I think our executive basis. team was a little skittish at the time of, yeah, of contracts On a like daily that. basis, we went through that. And uh, but when you looked at the numbers, it made yeah. it made a lot of money. It made really mm-hmm. good money for that company. And we just kind of had, had to work through it. You know, uh, work is called work for a reason. And it's, it's, yeah. it's hard. And we were solving hard problems. I think with the rest of the executive team there, it, you know, a lot, being that the majority of the business was a commercial entity, mm-hmm. they understood what we were doing. And I believe they always supported it. Um, but they, I mean, they, they let us do you know, yeah. our own thing. They let me run it and let, uh, you know, uh, you know, Rich Bergerfer was involved with that for a while. Dan Paulus, you know, but mm-hmm. they were my bosses there for, 
in, in those early years and they always supported this yeah. stuff a ton. And I, and that's, that was a key to it always being a success because I could, I could have seen if that, if that UK project wouldn't have been one, I could have seen them pulling the plug on it a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, because we there wouldn't window. have been there wouldn't have been that much other work besides right. some of the USPS stuff to really keep us going at that point. We, so. we had to win the big ones. You yeah. know, when we're, when you're only bidding two or three a year, you better win one of one of them, or there's a problem. Yeah, and, and that's uh, that's part of the fun about the postal automation industry is that there's not that many big deals out there, and there's even less there today than there than there's ever been. I think you know. Right, right. There isn't. There's a. <laughs> it's dwindled down quite a bit. I I think the larger push at the you know the upper levels was was from our partners that we worked with you know we were a, a subcontractor mm-hmm. on that to Lockheed Martin I'm sure you vividly remember yes. the, the calls that we had yeah um, with, with them and you know you know to this day um, you know I, I know that you probably walked out of a lot of those teleconferences steaming mad and and I know I did as well but I learned <laughs> a lot from that and I'm uh, yeah uh, grateful to this day actually the um, the pressure that was was put on us I think it made mm-hmm. me a better person I honestly yeah. believe that. Yeah, I learned a lot from that too. I mean, especially with having Russ Elliott on one side, who was the managing director of the UK, and Judy Marks, who was the, uh, what was her title? She was head of basically the postal for Lockheed at the time. Mm-hmm. She's now the CEO of, of Otis Elevator, you know. I saw and, that. Yes. Yeah, yep. and I'll have to see if I can get her on to kind of take a trip in the Wayback Machine or something like that. But yeah, that <laughs> she probably, sure. does, I'm sure she doesn't remember me, but having them you know, when we're not meeting our requirements and holding my feet to the fire and you guys on the phone, I mean, there's one thing to be on the phone, but there's one thing to be in the room with those people. And, and I mean, we'd, we'd hang up that phone and I'd, I'd look over at, oh, Eric and Dave and the rest of the people that were in the room. And I just said, geez, I hope Tony's all right. I said, he's over there in a meat grinder. <laughs> I mean, I honestly, I'm, I'm chuckling a bit now, but I honestly, we'd, we'd walk yeah. out of there sometimes just going, I hope he's going to be all right. I mean, so you're on the front lines. Yeah, sure. well, I think it, it was a definitely a good learning experience for me too of how to, I mean, it, and it wasn't so much a, you know, I wasn't doing development, I was a systems engineer, but it was, you know, it was a liaison role where you got, you know, you had to navigate the waters of, of you know, corporate politics between the U.S. Lockheed guys on one hand and the U.K. guys on the other hand, and then you got Royal Mail, you know, and their, their views, and it was a good exposure to, you know, that, that size of an environment, I think, as well, so. Yeah. Yeah. It, you were, that was a large organization over there. Yep. It was, yep. Uh, I mean, you guys had at, at any one time, probably 150 people mm-hmm. in that, in that structure working. So. Yeah. Yeah. Plus all the video coding people that, you know, we had to work with and all the training and, and, um, but it, yeah, it, it was still, I still think it's one of the best things I ever did was going over there. Even, you know, even some of the personal aspects aside of that I'll go into later, but, um, but I mean, personally and professionally, I thought it was a great experience and I loved, I love England and would go back there in a heartbeat if I could. So. Yep. Yeah. It was good. Many trips over there. It was, yeah. uh, you, you did, <laughs> you were there probably what a year? Yeah, I was there full time for a year. And, uh, and then after that stayed in a program management role. So, so I, I think the year after I came back, I went over there nine times in a year or something like that. <laughs> I flew nine times and hit Delta's platinum level, you know, so if that says know. anything, <laughs> yeah. But. So what came after, you know, how, you know, personally you had a family, we had, we have kids that are, I have an 18 year old, Stephanie is 20, I think now. She just turned 20, yes. She turned 20, okay. 
So one child and, and, you know, how were things going at the family side through all this? You know, it was getting, it was getting a little rough. Um, it was, uh, you know, a lot, that one year, I think I traveled mm-hmm. 250 plus days. It was, wow. it was getting, getting a little bit rough with that. And, and I, you know, um, family has always been behind me, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, you know, like Tony, you know what it's like, you were, you were traveling and you're, you're, you're not seeing your, your kids yep. or, you know, and, and it's that pulling and tugging. And it was just, uh, I wanted, wanted to be home just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that led me to, to, you know, to make a change. Okay. okay. It's, it's one of those, it was a short change, but it was to go back and run ORC industries sure. with the expectation that I would move into the president's uh, position there <laughs> within a couple of years. That didn't pan out um, yep. for, for, for a couple of reasons. And then we, we were back. Next thing you know, we're back. Uh, I'm back at uh, First back Logic. Then it was, so in 2006, First Logic was acquired by Business Objects. The Postal Automation Group was spun off to a third company called Bull, uh, who was a French, who was a French IT company at the time. Uh, and we were given a different name of Address Vision and kind of a standalone role. Um, and then you were brought back in 2007, was it? Somewhere yeah, I was brought back on a consultancy basis yeah. to actually go over to France and mm-hmm. be, the tables were turned a little bit. You know, yeah. Bull, SA, Bull SA, SAS, that was our parent company, was running um, a contract with the, uh, La Poste, with the French Post. And I was brought in to subcontract uh, manage their subcontractor, Lockheed Martin. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the people that used to tell me what to do, now I was telling them what to do. That was, yeah. uh, it was difficult. I lived yeah. over there for six and a half, seven months. That was a, uh, it wasn't a good experience. Yeah. There's no other way to cut it. Yeah. Um, that must've been, I was over there for about a month or so, I think too. Mm-hmm. We, we must've been kind of part of that same effort, I think, or something a little bit, but I wasn't near there near as much as you were. So, but I can yeah, imagine yeah, that was, was a little tough being that liaison to, to those to Lockheed, it was so. the the contract was so far gone already that it, it kind of in the tank if you for lack of a better term that it was hard to pull it out of that sure um, and they ended up just honestly you know they parted companies with la post and folded that project up so i came mm-hmm. back to the states and that's when that that new australia post uh project was coming out mm-hmm. and that was to upgrade what we deployed in 1998 Mm-hmm. Yep. So we brought, you know, I was, I kind of, I was a proposal manager. You did the relationship and senior management work and things like that. And that was in the 2007, 2008 timeframe, somewhere around there, I think something like yes. that. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So you were, we were all on that team. Um, and we, you know, going back to the relationship thing, you know, we, we just, we knew what that customer wanted mm-hmm. and we went after it. We said, we've got to win it. And it was mm-hmm. against the people that we used to partner with. You know, we went, the incumbent was Lockheed Martin. We decided not mm-hmm. to team with them. We figured we could do it on our own, you know, and to this day, they're still doing work on that contract. So it oh, was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Was I think that's the one thing keeping them in business for the most part, probably. Yes. So. <laughs> yep. That was a, a successful contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was, what were some of the challenges on that one for you? Um, I think time. the biggest challenge was, was convincing the, the top brass back in France that we could pull this off. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember them coming over you know, two or three times for reviews on what we bid and, and, you know, challenging the numbers, mm-hmm. things of that nature. And I, uh, that was the, the harder sell was internally. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew we knew 
what Lockheed Martin was going to go in there with and how they were going to work with the customer. And we knew what we needed to do to combat that. And we did to a T. I, I honestly don't feel that it was a, a close decision at all. Mm-hmm. I think we walked away with that one because we knew exactly what they wanted, um, yeah. how they yeah. wanted us to work with them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And the fact that we had a bigger company backing us up too probably didn't hurt, but you know, it was a relationship to you that you had built and Pete and the other guys that mm-hmm. were, you know, knew Australia very well and, and had good relationships down there. So. Right. And it's, you know, it's one of those, on any of these government deals, you know, they're very struck, as you know, they're very structured mm-hmm. on the way the tenders have to go in. But if you don't, if you're not in there a year in advance talking with them about this upcoming project, if you just receive the tender and bid it, you're probably not winning it. 99% chance you're not going to win. Yep. And uh, yeah, Pete was, Pete was down there and, and knew what that customer wanted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they, uh, a lot of the same people were still there from 1996 when we won it. So they remembered me and it was just a, a good all around. Uh, oh, the process. goodness of government employment, right? Something like yes, that. Yes, so. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So when did you, when did you uh, depart Address Vision? Was it right after we, or was that the 2000? It was, it was right after we, it was right after we won. I I just figured at that point, Tony, I, that was kind of my swan song. I didn't Mm -hmm. see, um, I always need something to, to keep pushing after and keep driving after. And I figure after we won that big one, that, that, that was a good exit plan at that point. Time time to go. Um, and time to go do something on my own. You know, we mm-hmm. kind of talked briefly about the family piece. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, didn't really want to travel anymore. Yep. And it was, it was just time to. Did you want to be a little more in control of your own destiny too? Maybe a little bit. Was that part I, of it? I did. I did. Yeah. You know, and Bull SAS still owns that company to this day. I never knew, never knew how committed they would be to it. Obviously mm-hmm. they were. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the reporting into to France, the back and forth like that. Again, I learned some things. I had a great boss. Uh, Luke Saint Genet was a, was a great boss to report into. Learned mm-hmm. a lot from him. But he, the, their executive team would move around almost on a monthly basis. Yeah. So you're, yeah. you know, my boss was going to change, and I'm like, I just think it's time to yeah. time to move along and and go do something different. Yeah. So at this point you this this was the wyoming move then right mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I, I remember it uh um you know to this day I, I literally we i literally woke up one morning um when we were living out there in mendora wisconsin and i i looked at my wife i just said let's go do something that we want to do for for real there's no reason crazy maybe something like that yeah yeah we there's no reason we can't go do something we love mm-hmm. she goes well, what are you thinking i said well I want to buy my own business. I said, let's buy our own business and do something. Well, what do we like? Well, we, you know, we kind of always liked the, the food and beverage industry a little bit, but really didn't want retail. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I looked at a couple of, uh, a couple of things that were, oh, some distributorships and things that were in the, uh, the lacrosse area. Sure. But then I said, what do we really like to do? Well, we, we've been going out to Wyoming snowmobiling. We mm-hmm. like ATVs. We, we recreate outside. I tried to string together a deal in, uh, in the uh, lacrosse area to buy three different power sports dealerships. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, they were, all three of them were, were run down. They were, Hey, we need to 
you know, almost start from the ground up. And, you know, I, I want to get something that cash flows. Yeah. Well, and remember, this was the 2008, 2009 timeframe, right? So the economy was kind of already tanking a oh, little. In late 07. Late yeah, 07. Right? It was okay. Just getting ready to go. Yeah, just getting ready to go. So, and yeah. I just Googled, <laughs> I, I think it was Google. <laughs> I don't know. I Googled um, Western States Power Sports dealerships for sale, and this listing comes up. Oh, Couldn't okay. get any information. It, 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 the guy had a very stringent process and you couldn't get any information until you could show you could um, mm-hmm. come up with the money and sure. that you were, you know, that you were real, et cetera. And we, you know, we ran, we went, jumped through the hoops that we needed to jump through and just happened to be that this dealership was in a town that we'd been stopping in on our way out West snowmobiling a few mm-hmm. times. And so financially, so financially you obviously must've, uh, I'm not just trying to say more of, you know, kind of what's your approach to, you know, obviously you set, you set money aside for rainy day, you, you know, you plan something for the future that you wanted to be able to have that flexibility to do what you wanted. Right. Right. Absolutely. It, but it was, you know, most of our, when we look at this business, we're like, you know, they said, you have to qualify for X, Y, Z mm-hmm. and X, Y, Z floor plan to floor plan, all the equipment that's coming in. I, I told Karen, I said, can't do that. We've got some money, but we, yeah. we can't do that. It, it was tied up in vacation homes and, and yeah. you know, then, you know, a place up north we had, but it was, it was a neat thing because we were able to use our 401ks tax-free mm-hmm. to invest and buy in that business. Okay. And uh, the rest, we were able to get a small business loan nice. from the SBA. Yeah. And it, uh, it was nice. So, it, it was tax-free to do that through that uh, uh, rule that the government had. And we were able to, we bid off a lot, but I tell you what, you know, you were, <laughs> when we were signing those final documents, Tony, it was, you almost get sick to your stomach. Yeah. Yeah. And then you look at each other and say, are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> and, ex- oh, and then of course, as you said, the economy tanked right after that. Yeah. So that's a good time to be a power sports distributor, you know, and <laughs> I look back on it now and I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think Karen told me what was in the checkbook much. You know, I was yeah. focused on sales and the front end of the store and yep. the employees and she took care of paying the bills. Yeah. And so I'm Karen, sure so, yeah. So Karen, she had worked at ultra credit union for a long time as one of their executive team, yeah, right? For about, and, for about 20, for about 20 years, she was there yep. and Yeah. And then she came over and did all your accounting and things like that and bookkeeping. And yeah. Yeah. It was a challenge uh, working together to begin with, but uh, it's something that I've certainly enjoyed (laughs) over the years, but it took a couple of years. Yeah. Um, You know her pretty well and you know how I am and we're kind of opposite, but we, (laughs) I think we, uh, I think it's a good mix. You know, she's kind of the voice of reason and, and looks at the money and we just always rant. I just tell me if I need to do something different. Mm-hmm. you know, out on the front end of the store. And she rarely had to, cause she knew we were always on the gas. We always pushing yep. for those sales, but boy, and then in 08, uh, you know, we're heavily, heavily relying on that, the uh, energy industry, mm-hmm. uh, you know, oil and gas out in, in Wyoming. And when that economy took a hit, we also took a hit, but not quite as bad as, as the rest of you folks did on and throughout the rest of the country, you know, really? okay. the oil price cratered, but it was it was still profitable to, to drill and, and do mm-hmm. those things. So we, we made it through it, but it did slow down. I remember some really lean months mm-hmm. there. Sure. Sure. 
How how many people did you have working for you at the dealership? Did you have just the one dealership then, or did you pick up? We just had the one at that time. We had just bought it. Yeah. And we had 17, I want to say. Okay. You know, and we had to do a a small layoff. I think my memory serves me correctly is the only time we had to do it. I want to say three people. Okay. Um, Which is tough when you know everybody, you know, obviously. So, but. It it probably should have done. You know, in hindsight, uh, from a true money perspective, probably should have laid off some more. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to keep that uh, that skill set there. Mm-hmm. Uh, employees are hard to find, and especially good ones. We had a great team, um, so I think in, in the the end game, I can look in the mirror and I think I did the right thing. Sure. Maybe not the right textbook business thing, but I think I did the right thing. Well, you've if the business isn't there at all, that you know, it's not going to work for people you know, regardless. So you got to do what you got to do at some point. Absolutely. I mean, we were both there for some of First Logic and PostalSoft's layoffs in like 97 and I think another one, what, in 2000 and none of those are fun, but, you know, sometimes it's, it's either the business goes or, or some of the people have to go. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's what happened to me in 2009 is at Address Vision is we had, you know, three program managers, four program managers once, you know, uh, Sharom and his wife came on board and nowhere near programs for four program managers and a company of 30 people. So, sure. you know, so, but I can't say it was a bad decision now because it's kind of gotten me to where I am today. So I yep. can't complain too much, but so uh, this whole time you were also, uh, I remember seeing pictures of your daughter, Stephanie, with a trophy taller than than her from four-wheeler racing and things like that. Mm-hmm. You were doing that already this whole time also? We were. We started doing that back in <laughs> 2005, 2006. Okay. Yep. So yep. That was, uh, that's been a fun ride for sure. We yep. really enjoy doing it and and uh, still doing it to this day. So it's it's something that okay. I enjoy doing a great yeah. deal. Yeah. It's taken us to, you know, down into Baja, Mexico and on some great, great uh, race circuits around the, around the whole United States. Mm-hmm. So it's been good. So that, I mean, having the dealership definitely opened up some doors to take, kind of take it to the next level, I'm guessing. It really did. It, it allowed me to um, get in with the manufacturers. It allowed us to field, uh, you know, a factory team with Polaris for two or three years and a factory team with Can-Am for two or three years. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that, we, that was just a great opportunity. And we outfitted our teams with, uh, with top-notch talent from around the uh, United States and, and sure. Mexico. We yeah. had some Mexico team, teammates for a while there. And just what a great opportunity to go and do that uh, back, you know, back out East. We raced the whole mm-hmm. Grand National Cross Country Series. We, you know, uh, Baja, Mexico, we've done the Baja 1000 numerous times. Yep. Uh, all the best in the desert series around uh, the country. A lot of long distance type mm-hmm. of uh, events. Yeah. How did that challenge you kind of at, at, you're not that you're, you know, retirement age or anything like that, but how did that challenge you as far as having to do those long distance events it's, like that? It's, it's getting harder <laughs> and harder, Tony. Uh, you know, back in uh, 2014 through, oh, probably 2016, uh, you know, I, I'm 52. So I was in my late 40s then, and I was working with Carmichael Training Systems, who does a lot with the Olympic uh, yep. Triathletes as well and things like that. Yeah, yep. and it, it worked. I had to have that because I could not run that pace that those young guys did unless I did it. Mm-hmm. And I, it was challenging. You know, in 2013, I, uh, I'm one of only two people to 
solo the Baja 1000 and finish it. That's awesome. Uh, Michael Swift, my teammate, was was the other one, and that was 968 miles, and I did it in a little. I think I did it in 38 hours. Oh. It was with how many so rest breaks? That, any rest breaks in there? Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah. That going into that second day, you're you're in survival mode. You're not really yeah. racing. You're just trying to finish. And I did keep I, keep I all four one, wheels somewhat on the ground, kind of thing. Yeah. The one evening, I, uh, I think I sat in a van, and uh, I, I it actually it rained, and I got all wet, and I, I sat in a, a van and changed my clothes, and I might have, you know, I probably shut it down for a half hour, but that was mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And, you know, so after that, everything's easy. So now the events we do are team based and I'm not, I'm not on the machine as much as the young guys are. So if we're <laughs> going to do a, if we're going to do a 500 mile race, you know, I'll have three or four guys and it's, it's at a, it's at the top level. So I mean, you got to run your section just <clears throat> fast. We're going to, we can't, we don't put someone on the machine for two or 300 miles at a time anymore. It's 50 to hundred at a clip. So I'll run a 50 you know, a couple of 50 mile sections in a 500 mile race. And then I let some of the younger guys um, push the pace. Of <laughs> Set aside your ego a little bit. and kind Yeah. Of I mean, you just, you just get yeah. to that point. You can't, no matter what I do now, I can't run that pace. Yeah. Um, I really don't want to move back into like an age group type category. Um, we like to run yeah. at the top level and I like the logistics and planning for the, the race and uh, setting up the pit strategies, doing these types of things. And, and the guys trust me to do that. So um, cool. it, it works for everyone. It gets them the, it keeps us competitive, gets me a little time on the machine, still keeps me involved. Yeah. How, do, how does it work with managing the egos of the other team guys and things like that? Do they, have you had to deal with that much or not? Um, no, no. I mean, no, I mean, we, we've always brought top notch guys onto the team and, um, they're all fast. Which can, if you don't pick the right guy, it can bring a top-notch. Ego yeah. Yeah. No, we've it, we've right? always had pretty, yeah. pretty good travels, you know, the traveling and being around six guys who six mm-hmm. of us who think we're the best <laughs> that, that can get challenging, but we, we just brought <laughs> each other a little bit. And, you know, um, at the end of the day, our goal always is um, we always try to remember to say a little prayer at the beginning before we take off the start line. And we, it's just, let's get home safe to our, our families, you know, cause we're mm-hmm. doing stuff out there that, you know, we're right on the edge with stuff. You know, you're running something that weighs a thousand pounds and you're going through the desert at 90 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, you know, we're kind of on the ragged edge with that. So it's, you know, and it's a course, get... I mean, there's a track to an extent, right. But not, you know, not, it's not like it's, you know, paved or flat or anything like that most of the time. Right. No, no. It, you know, yeah. like down in Baja, it's super rough and yeah. it, it's, uh, it's not well marked. We've got a GPS get yeah. lost once in a while unfortunately uh in the states it's a lot of the the, the um, bureau of land management uh, mm-hmm. fire roads as you would call them in wisconsin sure. so there's you know if we're doing a, a race from vegas to reno a 500 mile one day type thing you've probably got 40 30 to 40 percent of it that's you know wide open on those types of roads and the rest mm-hmm. of it's pretty rugged you get some washouts uh, you get a lot of stuff that comes up on you, uh, cross ruts, you know, you'll be going 90 and then you're like, "Uh Oh, I see that up ahead. <laughs> I'm not going to make it over it. And you got to yeah. lock it up and do 20 over the top of that obstacle. Yep. So. What's the biggest, uh, have you had any injuries or any big crashes out of it that, that people have told you about afterwards <laughs> that you yeah, can't yeah, remember? I absolutely yeah. have. I've hit the, uh, the ground in it. And that's what set me back. Um, 
for about a year, just had a lot of concussions. I've had four that I would say fairly, yeah. you know, where my helmet was cracked, wow. uh, have not broke a bone, um, luckily, but mm-hmm. uh, hit the head hard, ejected off the machine going fast, I'd say four times. Okay. Luckily, I, I remember you telling me once injuries. when you were trying to dive for dive for the hole on the first corner and your wheels touched another racer or something like that. And then you woke up, you know, a while later trying to remember what was going on. But yeah, I remember that. That's down in Arkansas. And that was a rough one because <laughs> I was just down there with my daughter Stephanie. That was over back like in 05 or 06. And yeah, you know, we locked wheels probably doing 80. And wow. uh boy, I don't I I hardly remembered that I drive back from Missouri back up to uh to lacrosse area. It was just yeah. that was scary. So I, I watch that now. I, we still press hard, but tune yeah. it back a little bit. It can so. be the other reason to bring in the young guys too, is let them take take that risk a little bit. And you've kind of right. done your time. I, I try to work. <laughs> I try to work more on reading the terrain and picking my lines and making all smart moves during my section, one hundred percent. And that can still keep me up there in speed versus just you know pinning it sure. wide open. So yeah. Just try to ride a little smarter. Yep. Yep. So you had started with the one dealership brought on a second dealership in what year? In 2009, we had the opportunity to buy one that was 130 miles away up in Gillette, Wyoming. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in terms of Wyoming and, and the landscape, that's close. It was actually, <laughs> I think, the next closest dealership to us or something of that nature. Uh, so we were able to buy into that one, spur of the moment, last minute thing. That dealership was going under like the next week. Yeah. Uh, so we cut a deal to take over their liabilities and, and get into that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my plan, Tony, was to, I'm going to run it like we're running our dealership in Casper because we're the best in the state. We're the best in the region on how we run that. So we figured we'll just move all the processes and, and our mindset up there. And uh, boy, what mm-hmm. a, what a change. I did not know that that, that uh, demographic and that geographic area differed that much from Really? Casper, Wyoming was. Just so what's, what's the big difference? What's the difference between the two? Um, very between young, Cat- very young um, customer base, not as much ranching community. Um, okay. Everyone pretty much, you know, the big industry, there's the coal mine. So you got a lot of young, let's call it uh, 25 to 30 year olds making mm-hmm. great money living mm-hmm. up there. And, you know, the, the, uh, the consultative selling that we would do at, uh, at our store in Casper up there, it was more, Hey, what's your best price? You know, put it in the back of my pickup truck and I'm out of here. I'm going to go, I'm going riding today. That's their attitude. And, 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 and both have, both are positive. You know, I I love that store up there. So we just decided it it needs to be run different, you know, and Mm -hmm. in those early years, we we struggled a lot um, trying to find the right mix of people Mm -hmm. struggled a ton and then finally got the right, general manager and, and now part owner of it in there with us. Okay. So it comes, comes back to the people part of it again. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, after the first couple of years, I would have given that place away, I think. And yeah. I'm glad we stuck with it because we still own it to this day. Awesome. Yeah. So the Casper one you have sold off, but the Gillette one you're still holding on to for now anyway. So. Yes. We had the opportunity uh, two years ago to sell it to our general manager and one of another local gentleman and mm-hmm. the timing was just right. Our daughter was off to college. Uh, we were looking to, uh, to get to a warmer climate and this, <laughs> that allowed us to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm jealous being in Arizona right now. That's for sure. So as I'm sitting in Northeastern Iowa and it's 10 degrees <laughs> out or something like that. So yeah. 
Don's always good at putting up uh, a picture from Arizona with the palm trees or something and asking for a weather check from the northern climates. So. Yes. yes, I need to do that soon again. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, you said it keeps going back to that people people part. And were you finding that the hiring challenges and main, keeping people, has that changed over the years for you as far as you know the type of people you've got walking in to get hired and that kind of thing? It, it did. It, it that was always rough out in Wyoming because it's uh, it's kind of a feast or famine economy. When it, when the energy industry is doing good, a lot of people go and work the oil fields, you know, where they can make just enormous amounts of money, or, or gas, or coal. Mm-hmm. So we always we would always have people leave, but I had a lot of those people come back. So we sure. point being as I as much as we could, we always tried to leave on good have everyone leave on good terms and uh, you try the best you can do to do that. And, you know, to this day, I still talk to a ton of the people um, Mm -hmm. that, uh, that left, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and try to keep friendly relationships. But it was, it was at the end, I would say two years ago, getting harder and harder to get the types of people that we wanted um, at the dealership. And, you know, it's, it's difficult because the wage level is so high in, mm-hmm. in that geographic region due to those other industries. Yeah. You can't just take that and move that into a, uh, into a retail environment like that. I think it's a big misnomer in, in the power sports and let's say automobile industry. I think people see all that neat equipment sitting there and they think it's just a gold mine. You yeah. can certainly make a good living. Uh, yeah. and we did, but it's, it's truly a game of pennies yeah. uh, to make it in that. Yeah. So I remember you had told me a story once about some guy trying to get a discount because they were going to pay cash or something like that versus financing it or whatever. I mean, did you get a lot of that of people trying to, you know, Always. nickel and dime you to death all the time? It's interesting. It's one of my, my favorite sayings, Tony. They, they say, well, I'll pay you cash. And I, I'm like, versus what? <laughs> I don't understand what you're talking about. I think they think you own all that stuff there. Someone gave it to you for free and you're just going to take that $10,000 and stuff it in your pocket. You can't do yeah. that. I mean, you've yeah. got to pay off that piece of equipment. And so mm-hmm. I, we, you know, I know you and I have, have chuckled about that in the past. Like, I don't care if you finance or give yeah. me money. It's the yeah. same exact thing. So yeah. What, what's changed over the last 10 years business-wise for you with the, with the dealerships? I mean, have the industry relationships changed or anything like that? The equipment. We are partnered with the. We are partnered with the greatest OEMs. I believe. I. I think I picked the handpicked the best ones. They're truly and market leaders in everything. You said Can Am and Polaris. Can Am and yeah. Polaris, and then we had Malibu mm. boats, Chaparral boats, Ranger boats. Those are all market leaders. Yep. Yep. At my dealership now, I have Polaris, and then uh, KTM okay. uh, motorcycles, which is industry leading. Mm-hmm. I think the. I think the biggest thing would have to. Want this to come out the right. Put you way. on the spot. Yeah. I, I have to say, people's expectations have risen to a point of unreasonableness. Some some people in a retail customer environment, and I think that social media has done a being that that's an outlet for them to to voice their disconcern of yeah. of, a, of yeah. a company. You know, be, be it a Google review or be it a a. Uh, something on Facebook. I think that's one of the biggest challenges that, that yeah. was facing in the retail environment. 
um, the good old days of someone just coming in and saying, Hey, Don, I'm not happy with this. We need to make this right. You know, that's, that's how I was born and raised. And that's how I deal with people is face to face. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen much anymore. No, no. You'll get a text message from somebody that, Hey, I'm not happy. (laughs) Right. Or you'll you'll get a, uh, you'll check someone out from, from a transaction Mm -hmm. and Hey, you'll shake their hand. And five minutes later, you've got a bad Google review. I just, yeah. we, we, it, it's hard for, it was getting hard for me to grasp that a little bit. And I guess it's just something, you know, as that'll evolve as well to mm-hmm. where I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think, whole, do you think they're also their expectations for like price and service and things like that have gotten more unreasonable over the years, like expecting bigger discounts or, you know, that no matter what price you give them, it's never good enough kind of a thing. I do. You know, it, yeah. it, we're in a tough industry being that it, uh, again, everyone assumes that I'll use automobile power sports, mm-hmm. that there's these, like I said, these whopping margins. You're just to, printing money behind the scenes or something like that. It's not like that, like right? that at yeah. all. Um, so everyone constantly asking for a discount, just you got to be careful. You don't turn your dealership just in strictly into a volume dealership, you know, but there's yeah. an argument to be made for that too. Skinny yeah. down the amount of people and just blow the machines out the door, not offer much service. There's been, there's been dealerships that have done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have not mm-hmm. still want to stay in close with the customers. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, on the flip side, you know, 90, let's just say 99% of the transactions are, are really good. And there's a good, happiness feeling when you go home each day and you say, boy, it was great seeing this family come in and leave sure. with this new Malibu boat. I look forward to seeing it, seeing them at the lake this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And, and awesome. So there's a, a lot, a lot of good. It's just mm-hmm. that sliver of it. Um, and, and I think that that sliver that let's just call it that 1%, that, that overall nastiness that some people can get, you just mm-hmm. didn't see that 10 years ago at yeah. all. Yeah. I mean, I think it's easy to be brave too with social media and and you don't really have to face any, you know, you don't have to look somebody in the eye to say the things that you're going to say a lot of times and you can get away with that. So exactly. So I I would try to call and reach out to those people, the one percenters, if you will, and try to get, you know, at least get peace of mind closure on it that Mm -hmm. I reached out and tried to do something. Yeah, as far as the de- the volume dealership thing, I think we see we've been studying the RV industry a lot for that, and I think that that's one of the things they're notorious for is the sales process is great, but the service side of things is, is you know, the follow up after the sale and service and getting help after that is where most places seem to suffer, especially place, big places like Camping World. I mean, they'll sell you stuff all day long, but try to make a service appointment to get something fixed and you're looking at six weeks or eight weeks to get it brought in. So, yeah. 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 And they, you know, they just want to move the units. They don't really care what happens after that. And mm-hmm. if you didn't buy it at their dealership, you know, can you imagine if somebody brought a Polaris into you, you know, that they'd bought somewhere else and you told them you wouldn't service it? you know, but if you don't buy an RV at a a dealership, you know, a good, probably 75, 80% of the time, they won't even look at it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and that's, uh, we've, uh, I'm just trying, I think all the service tickets that we had over over the years, I can maybe, there, there was a a few times when we didn't work on someone's in a, from my, my memory of it, it was the, someone being, you know, just being rude at the, service mm-hmm. counter with, with one of the ladies. And I, I just don't put up with any of that period. Yeah. You know, that's a, a non-starter for me, but if we had someone that uh, it's interesting, you bring that up. If, if they bought their machine somewhere else and mm-hmm. 
you know, we pretty much knew everybody we quoted out or a deal. And I, you know, if we lost, I, I more wanted to know from that. I wanted to service that person's machine that ended up buying it somewhere else. And I want to know why we lost and I mm -hmm. want to do better the next time because sure. that that's what you have to do. You have to suck it up and say, Hey, we screwed up. Did mm -hmm. we screw up? Did we, did we quote it wrong? Um, did they not like our salesperson? And not a lot of people want to hear that, that piece. I always want to, I want to know why we lost. Awesome. And, yeah, uh, great and, attitude. And service machine and Hey, maybe the next time they, they come and buy from us and maybe they don't. Um, did but you, we were, were at least trying. Did you have your equipment guys ever ask you, you know, you know, if a model wasn't selling, you know, was it something wrong with the model or did you give feedback on features at all on equipment or anything like that? I mean, from, from like, whose perspective? Like Polaris's, did Polaris ever come talk to you guys or did you have an in to Can-Am or anything about, you know, this sucks, you guys need to fix this or anything? Absolutely. Like both, yeah. both of those companies are great with that. Um, mm -hmm. You can get to, we could get to the top levels if we needed to, which we, nice. we rarely didn't need to. We always had such good uh, local reps and yeah. um, they'd service the whole Rocky Mountain region. But again, I. But it wasn't needed off, oftentimes? No, no, it yeah. wasn't because they, there was on, on their, uh, you know, on their business system that we log into, there's mm -hmm. absolutely a venue to to talk about that stuff either verbally okay. or, or in writing. And they have, that's kind of the, who, who, whichever OEM company is, is doing that the most is, is thriving the most. And that's where you mm -hmm. see Polaris and KM continually making improvements by listening to what the customers are saying, or dealers sure. are saying that the customers are saying. And sure. we, they also have some, oh, we'd have some industry get togethers where, for instance, we'd say, hey, we're going to meet in Salt Lake City this next Monday and Tuesday, and mm. you guys can vent. Sure. <laughs> and, and tell us what you're seeing and what can we do to improve, and and yeah. I hope we can get back to that soon again. Those are super constructive. Yeah. yeah, yeah, this whole COVID thing sucks for that kind of thing, and I haven't traveled since January of last year, I think, for work, so you know, I'm sure it's been the same for you pretty much, mm -hmm. but yeah. Um, so after, you, you know, you decided you wanted the warmer climates, and you know, on a, on a dealership like that, I would imagine you need to be there if you're going to, if you're going to effectively own it, at least you wanted to be there, you know, if you're going to own it. Right. So then you move to, to, to kind of divest one of the dealerships. We did. That was getting, that dealership was getting big. You know, yeah. we were, you know, when we checked out of that, it was, I think we were doing 14 million in revenue when we bought it in 06, 07, mm -hmm. it was a $6 million operation. So we grew it to sure. you know, a, a large level. Mm -hmm. It was getting, um, it was just time to move on. It was, you know, it got up to 22 people mm -hmm. and we figured we could get, sell that one and keep the small one in Gillette, which mm -hmm. has five to six people, uh, great staff, great GM. And, you know, my wife just still had let the GM uh, run the day-to-day -day type stuff. And we handle all the money still. We mm -hmm. do, all, Karen does all the payroll. My wife does all the payroll. The, uh, you know, uh, we, we watch it daily. Yeah. Okay. From, cool. from a, from a back office perspective. Yeah. And, uh, and it works out great because we've just yeah. got a great team up there and they make it happen. Yep. Now we've done some consulting work on the side in the postal industry for some other people. Um, but I can tell just, you know, retirement is not Don Higby, I don't think. So you're not just sitting there in Lake right. Havasu, you know, sipping pina coladas all day long, right? 
No, no, we're not at all. <laughs> we, you know, we, like you said, you and I did some, some consulting there on, uh, on a couple of contracts uh, that we were yep. going after with, with another company. And then Karen and I and a former executive from Polaris started a, a consulting business called Power Sports Locate. And it's awesome. not a business not a business brokership, but what we do is we consult in the in power sports industry. And the main thing that we provide is helping people go through the buy sell process of their business. Okay. Um, we, you know, we list the bit, we can list the business. That's one of the, our major functions. Mm-hmm. We do kind of like the some, guy that you met back in 06, roughly. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I'd yeah. be, I'd be lying <laughs> if I told you that I, that I, that I haven't copy. some of his stuff. It, it's, yep. When we bought our business in 07, we went through, you know, he's an actual broker. We went through him and he had a great process that was just wonderful. Sure. Um, he, he has since moved, uh, um, uh, passed on. And we, I remember bits and pieces of how he did it. Mm-hmm. And it's been working great for us. It allows us to uh, work through the cumbersome part of getting a buyer, for instance, qualified with with OEM with Polaris sure. with Wells Fargo the flooring companies it's an extremely cumbersome process so many times people will go and get okay there's a they've got a buy sell agreement uh, between the two parties and then they say well now what do we do that's where we, <laughs> that's where we come yeah from. yep 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 especially if they don't have the history of of working with the OEMs and things like that right right so, so it's a good it's a good side business and you know we also do some daily operational consulting um, okay. we look at people's books we see where you know some of the the holes are that they have or that they need to fix and uh, just bringing you know Karen's background on the financial side of stuff mm-hmm. uh, Mike Chesney's uh, part with uh, with being out in the dealer network uh, working for players for all those years and my part of uh, being on the retail front and the relationships with the different OEMs, um, mm-hmm. that it's just a strong team. Awesome. Awesome. Congrats. I mean, that sounds great. So do you think that's your, are you going to keep trying to grow that a little bit or? Oh yeah, we, we yeah. are. Um, it's, uh, it's keeping me busy right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, it's, it's been a little slow on the sales side of things due to, um, Due to the election, you know, there's a million, this year, yeah, there's a million yeah. things we can stack up. It's, and, you know, one of the, one of the big things that slowed, slowed down on people actually listing their business for sale is, as odd as it seems, during the whole COVID, you know, when this thing hit back in March, my first reaction was, oh my gosh, what are we, we going to do in July, <laughs> Wyoming? What's going to happen yeah. to my business? Yeah. I thought, you know, I, I think most Shut people down. thought the world yeah. was coming to an end and it's been nothing but a, uh, record year we sold through and it's been that way industry-wide awesome. across the country selling the outdoor you, recreation products so people yeah. you know stay outside how did you pivot up in Gillette with sales and sales and marketing and things like that did you change that change anything we no we literally it just everything sold out so yeah. come come October would have been September where I typically have 1.7 million of product on the floor Mm-hmm. I had 198,000. <laughs> so, so we, we ran yeah. out and, you know, yep. we came up a little short uh, this year, but that was, I mean, just a little, but it was simply from not having product. Sure. But if, if you got rid of these last two months of the year, mm-hmm. we had a record year. Yeah. And I saw that too on the, uh, I hate to keep going back to the RV side, but the same thing happened there is that all their manufacturing got shut down, you know, for a couple months there, March, April. And that's like prime. And it has to be for you guys too, is prime production season for the summer and for fall, even you got to fill that pipeline and parts coming over from overseas, you know, that all dried up and, 
And, uh, you know, so we went to an RV dealership, one of the biggest ones in Iowa. They normally, in, I think we were there in August and they had, they would normally have a, you know, 50 acre lot full of RVs and they probably had 20 units in stock or something like that. And, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, and by October, we're going to have 200 units here or something like that. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, the supply chain was just broke, like yeah. you said, for two to three months. And the trickle-down effect has been, I'd say that from an RV, boat, mm-hmm. off-road vehicle standpoint, I don't know that, I think they're running maybe at 75% capacity right now. So it's yeah. getting better, uh, but it's going to be four or five more months yeah. until it production is back going yeah and they've had issues i mean getting drivers to haul them to the dealerships and things like that because people don't want to work you know because they have the extra mm-hmm. unemployment incentives or you know whatever so yeah, yeah i've seen that quite a bit we, we've had we've had product you know sitting in a manufacturer's yard if you will their storage yep. thing for four to five weeks mm-hmm. it just sits there because they can't get a, a trucker to move it Wow, that's crazy. Um, but you know, it's interesting when we once we got down here to Lake Havasu in June, mm-hmm. the, you know that that's their peak season here in the summer, and you're you're used to driving through to any boat dealer, what have you, and there being quite a bit of inventory. And when we pulled into town, Tony, there were gravel parking lots empty. I mean, not a single. <laughs> Man, my God, did they? Your first thing is they, they closed, or yeah. They literally had nothing, not a single thing to sell. Well, and even then, you know, if you're taking trade-ins and things like that, you can't trade if you don't, you know, have something to sell them in the first place, right? So I was going to say, you know, could your used business be that much better? Well, you know, we saw this with trucks where, you know, because trucks, production on trucks was slowed down as well. So used truck prices are going through the roof, you know. So people are, I saw a guy that he said he bought a used truck a couple of years ago and he just traded it in. It's, you know, two years more used, but he got more money at, for it as a trade-in than he paid for it when it was new, you know, when he bought it two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been seeing that in, in the markets that we're in as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we tried to, when the deal, some dealers, when they saw that this was happening, mm-hmm. saw a opportunity to, to, to just charge. Yeah you know, through the roof. And, and we did not, we, we pretty much kept our same pricing strategy. Again, best business move on paper, maybe not, but I think long-term, I think our customers will remember that. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, you can, you're going to sacrifice some in volume probably at that point too, if you start raising all your prices. So it's, it's always that sweet spot trade-off, I would guess, right? It is, it is yeah. for sure. Going back to the day when we're trying to figure out how to price stuff for Lockheed, right? I mean, <laughs> what are they going to buy? <laughs> oh, I remember those conversations. I remember those uh, uh, whiteboard exercises that we that we did. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. So, in terms of, I mean, looking back, what you know, what's the biggest thing you've learned over the years? You know, just for, through all of the different, you know, you've gone through being part of a big company like First Logic, well, relatively big company like First Logic and working with bigger companies like Lockheed to running your own business. What are, what are kind of some of the things you've learned that, that stick out to you the most? I would say, you know, I know it's overused, but people, mm-hmm. um, it's just all about people and good, uh, good teams. You know, we, we had great, we had great teams at, uh, at First Logic. Um, you know, uh, you were on a lot of them. Mm-hmm. and 
same with my other businesses, you know, great, just, just great people. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't have done anything gotten mm-hmm. anywhere where I'm at if it wasn't for those people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that's, that, that's the primary thing that I've learned. Um, I've learned, uh, <laughs> kind of that you can get sappy Don. The, the, okay the, the ability to endure a lot of pain <laughs> at, a, at a, at a corporate kind of political level, I think has helped me grow quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because you get through those situations and you're just, you're just better rounded, uh, professionally. And I think personally, yeah, it makes your head hurt a little bit at the time. That's yeah. for sure. But I, I look back to some of that stuff, Tony, and you know, we, we don't <laughs> all need to go into complete detail, but we, yeah. we took a beating on some things. I mean, and yeah. it, it was, it was a lot of nights not sleeping, wondering how are we going to fix this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and still trying to keep relationships with the people you're working with, um, within your company and then externally. Mm-hmm. And I, I think for the most part, I can say at the very, very end of the day, I think I, I think I did think we did, um, you know, maybe there's a hand, handful of couple of handful of something that just, you know, vehemently can't stand me. But I think at the, at the end of the day, I always tried to leave it with a handshake. And yeah. I think that's important in, in anything you do. Yeah. Uh, another thing I learned that I, uh, I tell my daughter to this day, she, she's got a lot of me in her, a little bit of her mom, <laughs> um, but she has my attitude. And I said, I wish I would have been, um, I guess this would be more on a regret side of things. I know you okay. can ask that well, question. That's okay too, but yeah. I, I wish I would have been a, a little bit better person just on some of the, to, to people, just on some yeah. kind of back there in the heyday on, um, oh, you know, it, it could be traveling. You know, yeah. I, 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 as I get older, I think back to these little things like, why was I so rude to the lady at the Delta desk or at the Northwest desk? At the oh, time? Yeah. Yeah. Why did I kick yeah. and stop my feet that I had, to, you know, I, I just, I look but back you on get that. Your first class I, upgrade or whatever, or something. I like would that. never yeah. even dream of doing that stuff. Um, now, and I guess part of that's growing up. Um, you know, but just, uh, I wish I could take some yeah. of that back. Yeah. And, yeah. And uh, I definitely uh, feel that too. I think it kind of goes, I don't know if it goes to your head for a while or some, or it's just part of the ego that we all have, but it was definitely one of my weaknesses too was, and I think I, I, you know, felt myself acting like that sometimes even internally, like with our development teams of, you know, who's calling the shots here kind of a thing, you know, when it should have been more, a little bit more humble and kind of set my ego aside too. And that's something I've definitely had to learn about these last few years too. So, yeah, I understand. I, I same yeah. place. I, I, yeah. you know, I wish I could take some of that stuff back, but it, <laughs> it, it, you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't. Well, he did the best he can. Right. So yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. what you do. And, and, and try to try to set an example going forward. Um, and uh, you know, I just make sure too, that I, I, uh, another thing I've learned is, is in a retail environment, I've learned at firsthand how, how that interact those those nasty interactions can happen with customers <laughs> and i'm just going to make sure i never do that ever yeah. in yeah. that environment you know it's it's not it's not the right thing to do mm-hmm. and um we're not all that important not at all yeah. um and uh just need to be a good human all the time yeah well i know that was one thing i definitely i mean that's 
I mean, one of the main reasons we're still friends and that I had you on here and, and always enjoyed working for you was you did take care of your people though, I think. And, and even if you didn't necessarily get along with everybody, nobody gets along with everybody, but you took care of your people. And, you know, especially me when I was out on a lifeline in England on my own and, you know, you guys did everything you could to help me out. And, and, I, you know, Tony, so, I appreciate you saying that a lot, you know, and I, oh, yeah. from my early days there, um, you know, I learned a lot of that from, you know, Rich Berger for always took really good care of me. Dan Paulus did. I reported to him. Um, yeah. And I just always, I, that set a good tone for me. And I always wanted to, to uh, you know, fulfill that with, uh, with the team for yeah. sure. Yeah, definitely going to try and get Dan on here. He's, he's what? He's the CEO of a company now out in New Jersey, I think, or something like that. Uh, Rhode Island. Rhode yeah, Island, he's, okay. He's, he's had some great career stuff happen. Yeah. Uh, yep. you know, yep. Still talk to him pretty much every, uh, every couple of weeks we, we chat. And, uh, yeah. Um, great. So awesome. Any parting thoughts, I guess, and kind of wrap it up, I guess. No, I, you know, I, I appreciate being on here, Tony. This was, yeah. this was really fun. Um, you know, it's, it's good that we've been able to stay in touch over the years Yeah, definitely. and, uh, it's just been a, it's just been a, it's been a, a fun, <laughs> fun ride. <laughs> and I, um, uh, I'm I'm just grateful for everyone that has been around me during my career, uh, including my family. Um, Because without that, I, I, you know, that's what you do it for, right? That's everything. Absolutely. And uh, no, I just, you know, I'm kind of onto the next adventure here. I feel I've got a few good years left in me and uh, yeah, I just can't sit still. That's right. I guess maybe I can't stop just yet, but what are you and what do you and Karen do for fun now? Uh, you know, we love the water. Um, yeah. So we, we, we go boating uh, quite a bit. Uh, we, um, I'm, my racing stuff's kicking back up here in a couple of weeks. So we'll go and do okay. that. Uh, we want to, awesome. uh, you know, the, the traveling thing, we've done so much of it. It's kind of odd now that we're down here in this environment. Mm-hmm. And we've got a lot of friends. Oh, let's go to Mexico here in February. I, we really don't feel like mm-hmm. going because everything we want is right here. That'll change. Yeah. We yeah. would like to get over to... Uh, once all the once all the restriction stuff is done, uh, we do want to make like an Ireland trip. That's still on our bucket list. All awesome. those trips I made to the UK, I never stopped over there. So uh, <laughs> we do we do want to get back to that side of the pond and, and yeah. see some things. Um, well, and Karen you know, never really got to go there with you, right? So she you... never did. And you know, I, I I should have taken advantage because Eric and the others, you know, they always said take your wife. Mm-hmm. I always want to get over there and get the heck out of there and get back home. Well, and, and she was, had a career too at the time too. She did. You know, she did. plus your daughter and those kind of things. We, so. We'd like to take in um, kind of some bucket list uh, trips. Are we want to go see a Formula One race? Always nice. wanted to do that, mm-hmm. preferably overseas. And uh, the Isle of Man TT motorcycle race that's on our bucket list. So. Okay some fun things to go to you know you could get you back to melbourne or something because they do that formula one race down there right downtown yep, that's they? always the kickoff yeah. one of the year yep. yep yep yeah that would be fun so awesome awesome so, yeah i mean we are looking forward uh you know we're planning our route for next year and we're probably coming through arizona we don't have time frame worked out quite that far yet okay. but uh you know we're definitely planning on swinging through that way so we'll have to yeah we'd love to see, see you guys yeah Love yep. to see you guys. We'll have the RV, so we won't need to bunk it at your place or anything like that. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, you're going to be on a great adventure. I can't wait to to track yeah. it and see uh, everything you're doing. Yeah, it's really awesome. good stuff. Yeah, thanks for stopping by. So, all right, well, you got it, Tony. Thanks a ton. Thanks yep. for having. Me. And Don has departed the building slash Zoom call. 
Welcome to COVID times, people. Um, actually, I was, I was so grateful to have Don on here today. Uh, Don and his wife, Karen, live down in the Lake Havasu, Arizona area. And uh, uh, it was a, an absolute pleasure to work with and for Don for many years. And um, like I said in, in the podcast, he he did a great job of taking care of his people and, and really, you know, caring about the job and, and about, you know, what we were trying to do as a company, as well as being, you know, good to his people and taking care of his people. And I think that that's something that he's continued as he's gone on to be an entrepreneur and, and moved on in the world beyond uh, the time that we had together at the old First Logic Company. Some of the, the takeaways that I took out of the call with Don was just his you know, his desire to, uh, you know, kind of uh, just really win, um, but not at the expense of doing the right thing. So, I mean, we had some high stress environments back in the day in the software world. I'm sure he's had the same thing in the dealership, but Don was always a hands-on guy that you could tell cared and, you know, wanted to win, wanted to um, come out and and be successful and take a chance and and do the right thing and and you know do something that that he'd never done before but take a shot and see what you can do and I uh, that really impresses me you know the fact you know that he's he's been able to go from from where he is and and be able to you know save up the money that he was able to do and and take a shot with his wife on being able to to own a dealership and step out to be an entrepreneur like that it inspires me and it and i hope it inspires you as well to be able to uh take those next step in your life i mean you've you've got to financially have your house in order we didn't dive into that too much but you could tell you know from from don's words that uh, they took care of themselves they you know they financially made sure that they were in the right place to set the stage for their future and that's not something that i always did you know i kind of lived a little bit more for what did i want today and unfortunately you know that's i paid the price for that type of view so hopefully if that's one thing you can learn is is if you want to you know have that perspective later in life is to be able to you know, manage your world early on and, and take care of yourself that way. You know, I think he had some good examples from his parents of, you know, being a police officer as well as being a, uh, you know, small business owner himself. You, you kind of get the feel of what it takes to, to run something like that. And I wish I had been more involved with that side of my parents' business when I was growing up to kind of see how that was. I got to see some of the struggles, uh, but some of the day-to-day -day activities I, I, you know, I wasn't necessarily involved with. And I wish I, I wish I would have been more at the time. So, you know, if there's one thing I'd like to challenge everybody with or have a thought with is, you know, if, if, if you think entrepreneur is something for you or starting your own business, you know, don't necessarily wait, start your start today to brainstorm ideas and, and write down a top 10 list of things you think you'd like to do. And, you know, do that for a few days of, of brainstorming and, you know, from different perspectives of what do I need to do to get my life today in order? Or what do I need to do to make today, uh, make tomorrow a better place for my family so that we can get closer to our goals? And if you're married, if you've got kids, you know, you can't just do that in isolation. It can't be just what do I want? It's it's what is our family, you know, what's a family going, you know, what's this going to look like for them? And what's what is your wife or your husband or 
you know, what's their input on all of that. So you can't just do this in isolation. It's got to be something, you know, Don and his wife, Karen, they've been, you know, they may have slightly different personalities and Karen may be the more financially oriented person in terms of managing the books. But, you know, they work together and they they definitely talk to each other. They they have fun together. They they live and and love each other a lot. You know, it's obvious from the time I've had with them. So, you know, if you're going to have that kind of brainstorming, don't just do it in isolation. You got to bring in your family and make them a part of the discussion. So, um, you know, we're, we're definitely on that road with my wife and I right now. And we're using people like Don as the inspiration for us to just take that chance and live a little bit differently today and uh, take some chances where we may not have taken chances in the past. Um, and hopefully, our, you know, our family can take a different path as we move down the road. So uh, for the Grow to Amazing podcast, this is Tony Mays. Uh, we will see you again next week. Thank you.